All right, it is the week of Monday, April 4th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Oje, and before we get into the rundown, I got to let you know about our new sponsorship with BetUS.com. BetUS.com is offering our listeners an incredible 125% bonus on their deposit for UFC 273. Use code SHERDOG and get $2,500 in extra money to make fight night even better. At BetUS.com, you can not only bet on each fight, but they have loads of awesome parlay bets to choose from. Bet live during the fights and your winnings are paid within hours. Start the fight at BetUS.com. Use code SHERDOG. That's S-H-E-R-D-O-G. And with that in mind, let's get into the rundown. First thing we're going to talk about today is Hamzat Shemaev. If you are the UFC, how do you market him? How do you push a potential superstar like Shemaev? Numbers for social media are crazy for him. Um, Look at YouTube, the countdowns. We're going to break all of that down. But things have changed since back in the day when you've had a superstar with this much potential coming up through the ranks. How is the UFC strategy different this time? We're going to break all of that down. Then we're going to talk about one media rights deal. There's been a lot of rumors about one securing a U.S. broadcast media rights deal. Been talking about it for a while now. I'll break down what I know, what I've heard, as well as when we might expect some formal announcement about one securing a broadcast deal to come to the U.S. Uh, Then we've got to talk about PFL and gambling. Big PFL gambling scandal. If you haven't heard about it, it's about the PFL Challenger Series. Very big deal. We're going to talk about what the PFL can do to mitigate the perceived brand damage that they're almost certainly facing, as well as how this could affect a lot of things in the future. Um, PFL sponsorship is another thing we're going to talk about here because they've just had an interview about a week or so ago talking about all their new sponsors. Does this scandal affect that? I'll break down why it may and why it may not. Uh, then we're going to talk about a couple of quick hit sponsorship ideas on the podcast. It's a new segment called Quick Hits with just little business news. We've got a couple of things to run down, including Trojan Condoms' new deal with the UFC and the Korean Zombie securing a very lucrative or perceived lucrative deal um, in his home country. Then we've got to talk about Ari Emanuel's CEO pay. It was a big thing last week. Everybody saw the amount of money he was making, uh, how much Patrick Whitesell, his partner, was making. Does it make business sense to pay Ari that type of money? I will break it down from a perceived business perspective, especially outside of just fighting, but in the general business realm. I mean, does it make sense he gets paid as much as he is? And how does his pay compare to a lot of other CEOs in the same industry? Lastly, we are going to top things off with UFC Columbus purses. I know the event happened a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we've got to talk about the actual disclosed purses versus what we're seeing out there being reported by some sites. So timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, so first thing I want to talk about today is the UFC marketing strategy for Hamzat Shemaev. So if you followed my previous work at the Body Lock before it was shut down, RIP, TBL, um, you'll know that Shemaev was a big driver of a lot of videos we did and is, is huge on social media sites and sites like YouTube. Just is. It is what it is. There is no denying going into UFC 273 that he is pulling the biggest amount of views, at least from a um, social media standpoint. If you look at UFC Countdown, I mean, it's it's one. It's only been out for a couple of days. It's easily over a million. 
just the Chamayev Burns segment, last I checked, was 1.1 million something. I'm sure it's up to 1.2 at this point. Um, it's crazy. It, it's it's crazy. There is a huge following for this guy. And we've known this for a while, but it only grows bigger and bigger with each win. And he has looked fantastic out there. This is by far his toughest test with Gilbert Burns. This is kind of the fast track because should he beat Burns, he almost is guaranteed a title shot or the very least number one contender spot, but I would imagine they give him a title shot. Uh, the big question here is that, you know, how, if you're the UFC, how do you market Shemaev? It, it's not so straightforward because these are the types of numbers that back in the day you would see a big marketing push. You would see a lot of vignettes. You'd see um, interviews on particular late night talk shows even, right? Um, prior to Endeavor acquiring the UFC fully, when you had a guy with his kind of drawing power, they they would make the rounds. They would get a bigger marketing push. They'd get certain sponsorship pushes, right? It, it just is what it is. That's just how things went. But now that they have more of a fixed revenue income stream, you don't see that as much, even for the people we know are draws. Adesanya, for example, we know he's a proven draw. He's gotten his sponsorships internationally, and we'll talk about that a little bit um, because that's a huge source of revenue for fighters that I think they need to kind of look more towards. But he's not out there doing Conan O'Brien or any of the late night shows. Remember when, you know, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey would do that type of stuff. It wasn't everybody, right? Of course not. But you would see many more fighters doing media rounds in general because they would hype up the fight and hopefully sell more pay-per-views. And that was a huge part of UFC revenue. I think the reason this is pulled back is with the fixed income new revenue that the UFC has, it's harder to justify the marketing spend. And in order to really truly understand that statement, you have to take a step back and look at how marketing works in most major businesses, right? It is not an exact science. Far from it. Tracking marketing ROI is one of the hardest things to do in business. In some cases, right, it can be semi-straightforward if you have a certain level of merchandise sales, you put out a bunch of ads for a particular product, service, what have you, and then those merchandise sales increase, well, I mean, that helps. Helps to see, okay, we put out this ad, all of a sudden our product and, and service sales are up. All right, you can kind of track it that way. But that's about as clear cut as it gets. And even then, you don't know exactly which ads were contributing to which increases in sales. You can kind of track them if it's neat. But a lot of times you throw a lot of money at marketing. And yes, your product or service does increase. But it's very hard to tell which particular ads drew people to your product um, if it's an event-based thing, right, it's hard to track the exact ROI if it's if it's a more complex service. And so you've got people going to multiple events and then they, you know, or multiple meetings or see multiple, you know, 
webinars or what have you, and then they start to buy your products. It's hard to say, well, okay, this after this webinar, this particular ad pitch, customer A bought the product, but he'd also been to two or three. Is it just the last one that sold them? Is it the fact that he went to all three or was it really the last two? It gets very, very complex. One of the hardest things to do in business is track your marketing ROI. So with the UFC now having essentially this fixed revenue stream where, yes, more pay-per-view buys are always better because it gets you more money in general, but it's a, it's a far less percentage. You've got to think about what you want your marketing spend to be. And we already know that one of the UFC's big, big pushes and Endeavor's big push really has been cost cutting. That's how they got those record profits. That's how, which we're going to talk about later, uh, you know, Ari Emanuel got the pay that he got. They cut as many costs as they could in order to make the UFC extra profitable. That was the measure they went with. They've now shifted to sponsorships, but they still have that low cost structure or general low cost structure. So when you've got a guy like Hamzat Chemaev coming up, who clearly is drawing big numbers on YouTube, social media, uh, clearly has a following outside of just the, you know, cult MMA fans. It becomes very, very tough to justify a big marketing spend when you know your return, your overall return is going to be less. Even though it would draw more eyes to the sport, even though it would hypothetically, you know, draw more pay-per-view buys, more merchandise, the UFC is only getting a certain amount of money for those. Right? Like if if they knew or they had some data that said, "Hey, this is going to move an insane amount of merchandise and the UFC's cut of that merchandise was big enough, I think they'd push harder." But my guess is the cut of the merchandise is like, that's nice, but it's still nothing compared to our broadcast media rights and our, you know, flat pay-per-view deal. I mean, look look at the past couple Connor fights, right? Connor is still a huge draw. We know this. And he barely did any speaking engagements for the past couple fights. Same with Jorge Pasvidal was on that, you know, superstar trajectory after knocking out Ben Askren and um, beating Nate Diaz. And we saw him do one or two shows, right? And make a couple of appearances for sure. He got a little bit more of a push, but not what you would normally see necessarily back in the day. It, it just isn't the same. And again, I think that just simply comes down to, okay, we can go ahead and spend a little bit on marketing for these guys, but we're not going to spend anything like we used to because our return is kind of capped compared to our general overall revenue. And especially with Chemayev, right? His fan base is mostly over, you know, in the East and Middle East. And I mean, he's got a big enough fan base here too. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, he's kind of replaced Habib as that region's star. And, you know, he also has ties to uh, Ramza Kadyrov, who is currently <laughs> been named the lieutenant, uh, I believe it's the lieutenant general of Russian's forces with the whole Ukraine. So that's not great. Um, it, it's got a lot of political 
you know, landmines that have to be navigated with this particular scenario. It's it's not very straightforward. And okay, we can just, you know, ad, advertise Chimaev all over the place, push him hard, um, putting him on talk shows. That would be tough anyway, just because he's not a native English speaker, and they generally, you know, have stayed away from uh, putting any non-native English speakers on certain talk shows and stuff, but even just doing any more above and beyond marketing than they normally do for a fight. They're, they're not really doing that. Right. And yes, he's not in the main uh, or co-main. So it's, it's kind of understandable to an extent, but I still think, you know, 2015, if Chimaev is on the scene, you, you would see a much bigger push. Because pay-per-view meant so much more. I think he's probably in the co-main of the pay-per-view and they probably save one of the title fights for another one. Uh, That's what I would kind of guess. Just given the amount of, um, you know, views he's pulling. Although, again, if they have the data, which I'm sure the UFC does, where most of the views on YouTube, most of the social media interaction is all coming from international regions. The other caveat to that is depending on which countries they're coming from, their media rights deals are kind of limited there too, right? Where you have multiple countries who are who pay basically nothing. They pay a fight pass prescription or like $10 per UFC pay-per-view. Even if you get hundreds of thousands of buys, that's going to be a much lower return than in the U S when we're paying $75 pay-per-view here, which is just, yeah. Um, so that also factors in, right? If, if all of the views and all of the customer segment that seems attracted to Chimaev is coming from one region and the media rights deal is already kind of locked in where they're not making much on the side. Yeah. There's no, there's no point in pushing them. And I would imagine that's also a part of the calculus here. So, I think the strategy is you, again, continue to highlight Chimaev. I think it makes sense to push him up the ladder a little bit, quite a bit, with the Burns fight. And if he goes out there and he just destroys Burns, uh, I think that's when you look at testing the waters with some marketing in the U.S. But even then, I can't imagine the ROA is worth a lot of money and a big push here because the UFC again, believes it's all about their brand and they've set it up now so that it's really all about the UFC brand. doesn't matter who's fighting in there. You know, it's, it's all about the UFC brand. It's been demonstrated, especially as of late with, you know, fighter pay grievances and guys like Nganu where they want those fighters. Sure. But they are not willing to, spend the bigger money and give the bigger marketing push like they used to. I mean, Nganu versus Gan, they barely mentioned Nganu at all. They kind of pushed Gan, but even then they didn't push him that hard when you think about it compared to 2015, that era. They really didn't. And he was one of the most exciting heavyweight prospects out there. It's just... It's a new era for the UFC. And I think even though Hamza Chimaev, because I've, I've heard and seen a lot of your comments, yes, well, why are they giving Chimaev more of a push? Why aren't they doing these things? I think that's part of the reason why, is 
the UFC just isn't going to get the same ROI return. I think they will give him a little bit of a push. And I think you do up the marketing and, and kind of, you know, highlighting his journey and stuff like that. If he continues to win, especially on YouTube, right? Like throw up some more countdowns, do a couple of behind the scenes stuff because you're getting over a million views every time. And that only goes up. You put ads in there that can give you a nice little revenue stream can probably make up most of the marketing spend. But beyond that, you know, I don't expect him to be all over the place. I don't expect him to get special treatment and be treated kind of like this big star until he wins the belt. And then maybe they start to do that. But the whole time the UFC is going to be doing the calculus of, okay, he's now reached this level. If we spend X amount of marketing dollars, what is our estimated ROI? And that's how they'll decide what to do with them. And I think that's the new strategy. You've already got all this guaranteed revenue. Marketing is not what it was to the UFC. You do not have to push every fight so hard, get every pay-per-view to push to the limit. You've already secured the guaranteed income that you needed to shift away from reliance on pay-per-view stars. So yeah, you still give them a bit of a push so you can get more money out of it, but it's it's not the do or die scenario that the UFC was founded on, essentially, where we have to sell this fight. We have to make this a huge deal because if we don't, it hits our bottom line hard. That's gone. So I think the marketing strategy, again, focus more on YouTube and on behind the scenes stuff with Shemaev. Um, merch, I think, is a good one too. But beyond that, I don't, I don't see much, even if he becomes bigger and bigger as a star because it, it just will need to make sense financially in order for the UFC to invest nowadays much harder to get them to invest than it used to be all right next thing to tackle today one media rights deal so uh adam's turn over at the sports business journal had posted uh something along the lines of you know a media rights deal is imminent referencing a uh semp article where Chatri Sityadong, CEO of One Championship, said, you know, we'll be announcing in the next few weeks, big meteorites deal. And the U.S., it's going to be huge, all this stuff. That caught my eye because, again, SBJ is usually on top of that stuff. So made me think, okay, maybe Adam's heard something. He can't really reveal it yet or he doesn't have, um, you know, the green light or, or enough of the source's verification because obviously you don't just hear it from one and then say, okay, here's what it is. Like you got to kind of do some verification work. Um, so that made me think, okay, maybe something is finally brewing here and, and it'll be close. But here's the thing about this media rights deal. Uh, so I talked about this last year quite a bit where I had heard at the time that TNT was the front runner um, especially with them bringing on, uh, you know, Warner Media, Warner Media execs to the One FC board, it seemed that kind of made sense. And then I, you know, talked to a couple of people, and I 
heard they were the front runner, but didn't have anything where I could say, oh, yep, they for sure are report on it. And then I haven't heard pretty much anything since. Um, at the time, it was from a September article where, again, Sit Yudong interviewed a couple people and said, you know, we're doing a, a U.S. media tour where we're going and pitching ourselves to several broadcasting companies, um, doing all this stuff, even though we we have an agreement with TNT, you just, you know, that's that's what you do. You go out and you do a roadshow and see who wants your rights and they bid on them and you kind of go from there. And yeah, that's all run of the mill. Makes sense. But even back then in September of last year, Chachri said, yeah, we'll, we'll have a big announcement in the next few weeks or a month or something like that. Multiple times he has said that. And this is just something that happens, right? I'm not saying they don't have a deal in place or there won't be a deal, but it is hard at this point to look at what Chaudhry has said and hold him to his timelines. It just is what it is. Uh, and, you know, business things get stretched, all that stuff. This is not a, like, oh, Chaudhry lies. Oh, no, I mean, this happens all the time in business where you think a deal is going to be done. At this point, you say... I can't give a firm date, but I imagine a couple weeks or a month, and then that turns into months and months, and it becomes a thing. But with one in particular, we know looking at the metrics, looking at some of the other stuff that's that's happened, it is hard to imagine that their rights, based on the financial data we have, are going to command the type of revenue that they're hoping for. It seemed like what one had essentially done, and this is just my perspective from the outside looking in, is they had essentially focused everything on getting uh, certain social media numbers up, YouTube views up, um, impressions, all that stuff to tout their social media metrics, to tout their connection in the online world as being something super valuable for companies to invest in, but they had done it at a huge cost. I mean, if you look at their financials again, they're atrocious. They are in the toilet and they've kept raising money to keep themselves alive. And they've kept, you know, going on their road shows, which is again, very impressive, but it's certainly concerning to look at the amount of financial burden the company has taken on in order to achieve certain goals. They've achieved them, right? They are a huge media presence. They are, you know, especially via certain metrics, they are in the top. But due diligence on some of the financials will show the true cost of that. And it seemed like one set themselves up to... to push very hard for these goals in order to eventually lead to a broadcast media rights deal that would finally bring in the revenues. Similarly to what the PFL has done, uh, to what the UFC, Bellator, all of the major promotions have done. They've found ways to secure revenue through media rights deals. The UFC was really the first where they moved in with Fox and then you know parlayed that into... The ESPN deal and 
multi-international deals that have only gone up and up and up um, and that have brought them great revenue. And when the UFC did that, the other promotions began to follow suit. And Bellator has been bounced around a couple of times, but has it's been huge that they've had a media rights partner because they've gotten into the green where they were in the red for so long. They've finally gotten into the green, I think it was 2018, 2019, um, where they're, you know, profitable, which is the end goal. And, and they're starting to actually make a fair amount of money. Um, and then that's the goal of PFL with their tournament format and then getting ESPN deals. And as we'll talk about here, sponsorships, and that's one championship school too. That's, that's the path. It's just, how do you get to that? That's the real difference between MMA promotions nowadays is okay. The end goal is always let's get a media rights broadcast deal. That's guaranteed income. And then we build around that. But how do you get there? And one chose this path of, we want to be the biggest social media presence. We want to have, you know, tout these crazy metrics for our viewers and all this stuff. We want to get a bunch of very good fighters, which they have, and pay them well in order to showcase our assets and show that we're a major player, all this stuff. But it's come at a very high cost. And we still haven't heard anything about a broadcast rights deal. Again, not to say that it's not in the works or that we won't hear it very soon, but We've heard multiple times, oh, a couple weeks, a month, a couple weeks, a month. The longer it is delayed, the worse sign that is, of course. Because even if it gets delayed another three months and then you get a big deal signed, it's like, oh, this is amazing. That's still three months of no broadcast meteorites deal and just more money being burnt and going into the red. So at this point, what I would say about the one meteorites deal is that in order for it to have really paid off based on the strategy they used to get here, it's got to be multi-year. It's got to be probably multi-million dollar in order to make up for some of the losses they've incurred. And it's got to have synergies that will really help push other parts of the one properties, right? Um, I've talked about this before. One Esports has been kind of a wing of one championship that has done very well. You have Demetrius Johnson kind of, uh, you know, pushing it. You had them host Dota, one of the largest Dota um, competitions, which which is a big deal in the esports world. If I'm speaking and you don't understand this, that's fine. Look it up or don't, but it's, it's a big deal. Um, they've got this ecosystem they're trying to build similar to Endeavor. Right, They're just trying to do it all under the one umbrella, but it's similar where we're going to have all of these adjacent products and synergies that all kind of lined up, and we'll have product diversification. We'll have a streamlined process for getting our services and products out there so that we can either win the scarcity or cost dynamics competitive advantage. That That's how you do this. That That's how you try and become a big conglomerate like Endeavor and the UFC have become. But on their own, one championship, the cost of doing all that is it, it burns your burns your cash reserves and makes your runway that much smaller. It really does. And they've continued to burn through cash and shorten their own runway by adding new products or new services 
that, yeah, hardcore fans like, but they're not, you know, paying much for them. And, and the company's not seeing a big ROI, I would imagine. So if, if any positive ROI at all. So at this point, I don't know where the media rights deal is. I haven't heard anything. Um, I reached out to the contact that immediately, or sorry, initially told me um, that TNT was the front runner. Haven't heard anything from that contact, which that happens sometimes in this biz. Um, So I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I could see a streaming service picking them up. Um, I don't know which one, but given the rise of mixed martial arts in general in terms of garnering more interest from bigger mainstream players, you might have a streaming service, you know, kind of kind of pick it up just to test out the waters. Um, could see someone like Amazon taking a risk on it, although that would be strange. I mean, they, they did get into the UFC pay-per-view business for a little bit before ESPN Plus deal hit. Um, you never know, but I, I really don't have a good gauge on where it's going to go or where it is. So yes, we'll see what happens in the next weeks, months, etc. But just because Chachri is going around doing interviews doesn't mean anything is lined up. If I hear anything, I will let you guys know. Um, let me know in the comments where you would like to see one go. If you could pick anywhere for one championship to broadcast in the U.S., where would you want to see it? Because I'm curious about that. I'm curious to where one fans would like to see it streaming. Because I think that's the other hard part of this, is you have a bunch of one fans and hardcore MMA fans. ESPN is probably out, given that they already have two martial arts promotions that they're paying for and broadcasting. So where do you want to see one go? Let me know in the comments below, because I'm very curious to hear, hear your thoughts on that. All right, guys, who are you betting on at UFC 273? Can the Korean zombie beat the odds and defeat Volkanovski? Or is the Australian winning by TKO a given? Get your bets on this weekend at BetUS.com. Use code SHERDOG and get 125% bonus. BetUS.com has been taking bets for well over 25 years, and there's a reason it's the number one UFC sportsbook. With more betting options, live betting at games, BetUS.com is your new home for UFC betting. Start the fight at BetUS.com. Use code SHERDOG. All right, so now we've got to move on to a pretty big deal, which is PFL gambling scandal. So this is an article from ESPN.com who broke the news. Uh, Professional Fighters League Challenger Series event flagged for suspicious betting activity after the league said fights were pre-taped. Betters who wagered on a mixed martial arts event that was billed as live broadcast this past Friday found their accounts under review over the weekend. Uh, Fubo TV, who promoted the Friday Friday broadcast of the PFL Challenger Series as live at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is the April 1st um, PFL Challenger Series. And the PFL tweeted Friday evening that the fighters are in the building for tonight. All caps. Um, Odds on the Challenger Series move significantly in favor of each of the winning fighters Friday afternoon. It's not great. Right, you have some fighters listed here where they uh, one fighter in particular was listed as a negative two ninety to start, ended up being a negative twenty five hundred. You had significant movement on all the eventual winners. Now you have uh, U.S. Integrity, which is a Las Vegas based company, 
that monitors betting markets sent alerts to Sportsbook saying it confirmed with PFL that the fights were pre-taped um, and a statement from them that says, as such, it's very possible that any potential suspicious wagering activity is indicative of nefarious behavior. In a statement to ESPN on Monday, PFL spokesperson Lorne Mack said Friday's broadcast was the first time in its history that initial airing of the event was pre-recorded. He didn't say why, though. And I quote, any sports book that took bets on the pre-recorded program did so without the consent or knowledge of the PFL. And it will, for, PFL will further evaluate the matter, according to Mac. Um, PFL did not include any betting lines, content, or promotion in connection with the program. But it did, ha- I mean, despite that, the article points out um, that you had multiple teases on Twitter, including fighters posting in the octagon and said, checking out tonight's office uh, and, and kind of hyping up the tweet. You had Fubo TV where they were being broadcast with a tweet that says tonight, all caps, PFL challengers brings you their pro debuts. Check out the, all the action live 9 PM Eastern uh, Jennifer press, senior vice president of communications for Fubo said the PFL challenger series is typically streamed live on Fubo sports ne- network. The April one event was the lone exception and pre-taped we inadvertently used the same promo copy for the april one show as we did for promo shows was a mistake we regret the error uh i mean this is this is pretty bad pretty bad anyway you cut it um yeah you you have also now multiple gaming commissions looking at this uh arizona department of gaming is removing the pfl from its wagering catalog uh the state's event wagering and sports fantasy sports administrator told ESPN. So that means in Arizona now you won't be able to bet on PFL at all. Uh, Colorado is investigating the matter. Nevada and New Hampshire are aware of the situation. New Jersey declined to comment, which shout out to Drake Riggs over MMA mania, who uh, my good buddy that pointed out in the kind of article he did based off of this, that, you know, Rory McDonald had said after his controversial split decision loss against Gleason Tebow that he thought it wasn't a judging issue. He thought it was a gambling thing, which, I mean, that's all conjecture and speculation. But the fact that New Jersey declined to comment on this matter and then you have that, that doesn't look great either. Um, You have DraftKings looking into the matter. I mean, we've seen this happen before. Let me just state that first. We know of promotions that pre-tape and then kind of make it seem like it's live. Um, in terms of betting being involved, not always, but you know, one example of a pre-taped show that is kind of touted as live or pushed that way is you had uh, some of the one championship series, right? Um, I forget what they were called, but the series where they weren't big one events, they were kind of smaller regional events they were touted as like, Oh, you know, who's going to win tonight. It's a big thing tonight, but they were pre-recorded. Um, he didn't have big sports books allowing betting on that though. As far as I know, um, you may have had some shadier books allow betting. I honestly don't know on that, but we, this isn't the first time this has happened. And it's something where promotions really need to be clear they don't want to, right? Because if you say it's pre-recorded, then a lot of people say, oh, whatever. Um, but it just shows you really need to be clear that if you're going to do pre-recorded events, you've got to be very careful with this stuff. 
because this is by far the biggest issue we've seen with a pre-recorded event where major sports books and gaming commissions allowed for wagering. So it, it seems like somebody picked up enough on it and kind of stopped this, but who knows how many people paid out and, you know, we drew the money fast enough that there's no issue. Right. I mean, it's hard not to bet if you don't, if you're unscrupulous, it is hard not to bet on this knowing that certain fighters are going to win. Cause even negative 2,500. Okay. If I know this person won already, you could throw your entire life savings at it and know you're going to make X amount of dollars. Right. And there are people that will easily do that. It's free money. It's, it's a giant mess. And we'll talk about how this could affect the PFL sponsorships, the new sponsorships they signed, because that's another segment I want to get into from an article that, you know, sports business journal did last week about PFL and sponsorships. But this, this comes at a time for the PFL where it almost could not be worse. They are finally gaining some traction in their sponsorship realm. They are finally starting to get some bigger moves in the revenue space and, and starting to at least pick up or seemingly pick up right um, business. And this will definitely make their brand take a hit. Even if this was a complete accident, it, it does not look great. If you're a potential investor, I'm sure you're worried. Um, or I'm sorry, if you are an investor, I'm sure you're worried. If you're a potential investor, you're, you're maybe getting skittish, right? Because all of a sudden, yeah, we know this is this great idea. We know some celebrities are involved. Uh, we also know about the history of PFL, right? I mean, they're still going through their legal battles with uh, WSOF Global too. We know that PFL doesn't necessarily have the squeaky clean record. Um, I mean, hell, just read Michael Fidel's article from the body lock i know i'm giving a lot of shout shout outs to the body lock today but uh about, about you know ali abdelaziz's involvement in the pfl and how that was all going down i this does not help this certainly does not help and the best thing you can do if you're the pfl now is you know do pr as much as you can but this getting delisted from a state is also is, is very bad and then having multiple states where fighting is big looking into this, where who knows what happens at the end of that investigation, also not great. The more scrutiny that comes down to this too, if it turns out that they've ever had a pre-recorded event at any other time, and this has happened, they are in for a world of hurt. And now you're going to have people auditing and looking at their books, right? Commissions are going to dive hard into this because it makes the commission look bad. It makes everybody involved in the sport look bad. It's the last thing they want. The last thing that they want. So if you're the PFL and you've got nothing to hide, you open up your books to any outside auditors, you get NDAs so nobody's blabbing about what they see, but you say, look, this truly was a mistake. You, you go on a PR tour saying, look, it was a mistake. It was, you know, something that we will ensure will never happen again. And then you make changes, right? You you figure out ways to, you, you put in systems that make sure this never does happen again. You have to. I mean, 
it's it's when your own broadcast partner ESPN is breaking this story. It's not good. ESPN, I'm sure, is also going to think about this for a little bit and be like, well, next time this comes up for a renegotiation, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Eh. Uh, it's, it's not a good look. If this isn't the first time this happened, if things are not all rosy behind the curtain, so to speak, um, if you're the PFL, then you have to be very careful. You you lawyer up hard. You still go on a PR um, PR circuit and you spin it as best you can, but you you hide as much as you can. <laughs> and I'm not saying PFL is one way or the other. I'm just you know listing out the two scenarios because I, I've seen companies where they've done some kind of eh, stuff while they've they've been in startup mode and they've gotten away with it. I've also seen companies where that's happened and they have not. And it's been a major issue. Um, best thing you can do is again, if you truly are not at fault anywhere else, this was an innocent mistake. You open up the books for auditors. You, you make it clear that this was, and you, you point all the proof. If it's, not the first time this has happened. You've got to find ways to protect yourself and you've got to do it fast. Um, you've got to find out anyone with access to the information of other times where this has happened. You have to be on the phone with your lawyers all the live long day about, you know, what you can do and say that will, will help you get out of the situation. It's not great time. Not a great time. I think overall, this will hurt the PFL's brand, not so much with with fans, but with sponsors. I think this is where this could end up being a bigger deal for them than a lot of people realize, because if you're a bigger brand sponsor name, which we'll talk about the bigger brands that they've you know, signed recently, um, this is going to make you question re-upping your deal, it, and it's... If, if you were looking at the PFL as a potential opportunity, you are almost certainly backing away right now until at least until investigations are over and you're cleared. But even then, why, why get involved with a company that even has this issue? Most companies don't, right? It, it's hard. It, it automatically knocks you down a tier for the partnership level if you have something like this happen. Because if you already have an established relationship, if you've been having conversations, if you know the people behind the business, you're more likely to to forgive. But if you are courted or being courted as a first-time potential sponsor or investor or what have you, and this happens, why spend your money here when there are so many other options out there and opportunities that do not have this blemish on their record. That's just simply how it works. You don't have to be perfect, but this this doesn't help in the short term. And the PFL needs that money in the short term. That's really where they've kind of shifted because the broadcast deal has not been as lucrative as they've probably hoped. Uh, they haven't gotten the exact money they've wanted out of that. So now they've moved to sponsorships where that was starting to grow. This is one of the worst times one of the worst times for this to happen. 
because they were just getting traction with the sponsorships. So I think, I think the ramifications of this are pretty big because it's going to make it much harder for the PFL to get more guaranteed revenue to help make them profitable. And at the stage the PFL is in where, again, they've done several series of fundraising, um, it can make or break the company, to be honest. this We could look back at this if the PFL fails and say this might be the moment where it really killed them because they weren't able to get new sponsors because of the scandal. Could also look back and then say, oh, that's a bump of the road, and they did fine. Time will tell, but this is a bad thing. Very bad thing for the PFL. Speaking of PFL sponsorship um, revenue, in an article at sportsbusinessjournal.com by Adam Stern, dated March 28th, you have Chairman Don Davis saying the PFL will take in more than $10 million in sponsor revenue this year and that they are now focused on you know, bringing in more revenue and, and lining up. They, they also talk about first mover with new technology, but really it's about you know revenue. And he says that now in only its second year of selling sponsorships, PFL will have around 24 partners this year, including Bud Light, Geico, and IBM. And I quote, MMA is now really taking off as a mass sport, and that's an exciting time. When that happens, you have new disruptive companies that come in, new revenue streams, and global expansion. Uh, the article goes on to say there are two dozen investors in PFL, including Montemenu Sports, Ted Leonosis, and Riot Games, Brandon Beck, has raised $200 million in capital to date, according to Davis, which is a big deal. Um, then, you know, Davis goes on to talk about uh, signing free agents, um, the new pay-per-view division, all that fun stuff. But... Again, want to focus on some of these names. Bud Light, Geico, IBM, those are bigger bigger names. And when he's talking about it taking off as a mass sport, it's true. MMA has really kind of stepped back into the global spotlight. I think a lot of that was, again, the pandemic and the UFC being the first sport back. I think naturally it's just kind of slowly uh, become more of a mainstream type thing with the ESPN deal and um you know some of the other sponsorships we've seen but you know geico bud light and ibm are are big names and even if they're only getting a little bit of money from them we've talked about this before those types of names on your resume as partners helps you get more partners in that same tier of sponsorship which is great And the fact they're bringing in $10 million in sponsor revenue this year, that's also massive. That's actually quite a bit, right? I mean, if every champion gets a million dollars over the course of the entire season, that pays for all of your your fighter payouts of champions and probably the rest of your fighter payouts too and cover some production costs. I would imagine with that much sponsor revenue, you're probably looking at at least being close to break even, if not break even itself. I mean, definitely with the deal with ESPN and other stuff, I'd imagine you're actually starting to make a little bit of profit. We'll see. I don't know for sure, but um, one could infer that they're probably in that range, which is huge for them. Another reason why the gambling scandal is a very, very big deal. Um, 
but it makes sense that the PFL is moving towards a sponsorship type model, right? Same thing the UFC has done lately. And another thing to think about is a lot of industry trends happen because one of the big movers makes the trend and then the others are able to follow, right? Um, If you want to talk about how the UFC was the first to get a big broadcast media rights deal and then others tried to follow suit, the same could probably be said with sponsorships. PFL and, and Bellator especially have always had sponsorships, but having it be one of your main drivers of revenue, that is new. And that's partially the UFC getting some of the bigger names they have, but more so, more so the partner companies deciding to move into the MMA space, right? Because think about it this way. If I'm Bud Light and I want to be over all of the MMA fans' spaces, right? I, want, I, I just know MMA fans love my type of beer. That's my target customer. Um, and there's data that proves out there that a lot of people that drink Bud Light my product also watch MMA. So I want to be in all the space. Okay. I'm going to, you know, advertise with the UFC where I can, I'm going to advertise with Bellator, advertise with the PFL. I'm going to kind of expand into that market. If one of my competitors moves into a particular market, right? I may try and form a partnership with a competing brand. That's another thing, right? It, it makes sense. It just makes sense that, you know, if you've got, um, let's say, Progressive teamed with the UFC and, and they were very big and, you know, pushing hard for that. Well, Geico might say, you know what? I want to get in the MMA space too, so I'm going to go ahead and go with the PFL. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but just an example, right? You, you, you have kind of a sponsorship trend where they one of the sponsors – in their industry, in, in their particular industry, like Bud Light, like Progressive, what have you, will make a move into the space, then all of their competitors will follow suit too, especially if there's data backing up that that's actually leading to more revenue. And we've talked about this at the beginning of the show. Tracking marketing ROI is very, very tough. But people do have metrics. Almost every company does have some marketing ROI tracking, whether it's good or not is debatable. But Every company has that. Not shocked to see more and more bigger names get into MMA, especially with the rise of the UFC. So Bud Light, Geico, IBM, those are big names. And it's a big deal for the PFL. How much that's going to be hurt by the gambling scandal, especially with new names, we'll see. But um, going the sponsorship route, makes all the sense of the world. It really does. Would not be shocked if the PFL continues to push for this instead of broadcast rights. Because the ESPN deal, right, their their deal was coming up and then they re-signed, but they're not getting the type of deal they want, at least from what it seems on the outside. Um, if they had, they would have re-upped with ESPN much sooner rather than kind of being close to lapsing and then going with a new deal. Um, and they're getting nowhere near compared to to what the UFC is getting right. Um, sponsorships are the way for them to get around this. 
because having ESPN as your broadcast partner also helps in a big way in attracting some of those bigger sponsorships. And that's the easiest and best way for the PFL to survive right now and to actually become profitable. And once you become profitable, then you get bigger investor names, then you start to tout, you know, all of your success and just, just being profitable in general would be a massive step for the PFL because then you can go to investors and say, look, in this amount of years, we finally turned a profit. It's only going to go up from here. You get more money injected from bigger name investors. Those investors have connections with different sponsors. So you get more sponsorship. Then you get to tout to your broadcast partner. Hey, look at some of our sponsors. Look at what we're doing money wise. You know, you want to, you definitely want to be a part of this. And it just kind of snowballs and feeds on itself. So expect PFL to push hard in the sponsorship ring despite their gambling fiasco um, and expect more big names to enter the space. Would not be surprised if Bellator announces some bigger sponsorship deals coming up. If one ever gets the media rights deal done, I would expect them to also get some big U.S. company names in there as well. Makes a lot of sense. We'll see how it pans out. All right, next segment I want to go to do today is called Quick Hits, where, again, these things are not really worth the long rambling I normally do, um, but they are important industry news I think we should talk about. Again, apologize for the weed whacking. I don't know what these guys are doing here, if you can hear that. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into this. So, Quick Hits, two main things I want to cover today. One, um, UFC has now announced a extended marketing partnership with Trojan Condoms. Uh, this, according to a press release that came out, new agreement builds upon Trojan's ongoing sponsorship on UFC events, which began in 2020. We'll now have a wrapping station and prep point with a locker room cam. Uh, makes sense with the whole protect yourselves at all times thing. Uh, you've got a blurb here from... UFC vice president, senior vice president of global uh, partnerships, as well as the um, vice president for marketing for Trojan sexual health, talking about how it makes sense. Both brands stand for excellence. It's all about protecting yourselves at all times, all that stuff. Low seven figure deal, according to Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. It's a nice, again, nice big sponsorship. Doesn't seem to have any of that money going to the fighters, which. Again, means it's mostly just pure revenue, no actual cost. Uh, and with that, makes sense to do from a business perspective for the UFC, um, especially with Ari's big pay, which we'll talk about here in a bit. So nice little sponsorship bump for the UFC there. The other one I want to talk about that does relate more to a fighter would be the sponsorship that the Korean Zombie has with GS25 gas stations in South Korea. So shout out to my boy, JHK, pointing out that this gas station chain, one of the largest convenience store gas station chains, um, I'm not sure if it's gas station or just convenience store actually, but um, you know they have these new zombie burgers, uh, you know Korean zombie drinks, things like that that you can get in anticipation for you, UFC 273. I think that's important for a couple of things. U.S. sponsorship is definitely limited, right? If you're a fighter, you can find your own sponsorships. You can do local stuff. We've seen Bryce Mitchell with the car commercials. We've seen, uh, you know, a couple people go out on their own, get their own types of sponsorships. But international sponsorships are rarely ever talked about. 
Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of money left on the table that fighters can take advantage of. Um, Korean Zombie, again, th- this is a great sponsorship with a large chain. And I'm sure he's not only getting his brand out there, but he's definitely getting paid well for it. And that that is something that more fighters need to think about. Even if you're U.S.-based, it, it's not been unheard of for actors actresses pro wrestlers to go to you know places like japan or other other um type of areas where then they get sponsorship deals and you you don't have to worry about you know as much of the um much of the the kind of negotiating and dealing that happens in the u.s um they're they're you can find success outside of your home country or in your home country if you're an international fighter. I think the fact that this was not really known except to, again, our boy JHK, who obviously lives in the region, although now he's out doing his thing at, um, uh, I forget the name, in Thailand, but, um, you know, fight or flight thing, which is, again, shout out to him. I hope he kills it. But... It's an avenue that is often overlooked and one where especially international fighters should really push hard. If you are a ranked UFC fighter or a bigger name in the UFC and you're international, right? Like I, I expect that Volkanovsky does have some good sponsorships. Um, from what I've heard, Whitaker, right? Whitaker got some good sponsorship in Australia. I know Adesanya has been killing it um, in New Zealand with some of his, like, I mean, that's, Take advantage of that. If you're a fighter, that would be my business advice. Take advantage of that. I think it's important. And I think it's often overlooked and not reported on, but doesn't mean there's money not just, you know, waiting to be had there. So also wanted to do a quick hit on that. Um, Again, just little things that can't really go super far into, but uh, just things to think about in the overall industry and, and pieces of information we want to make sure that you guys know about last big story for the day that I want to make sure we cover here is a story about R. Emanuel's compensation. Um, what was kind of circulating on the MMA sites for a bit. Um, this comes from uh, market watch in the wall street journal where the highest paid executive in Hollywood last year is R. Emanuel chief executive of Endeavor Group Holdings. It is a studio chief or venture capitalist for Hollywood. Uh, that is a big deal. Um, his 2021 pay package revealed this month in Endeavor's first annual report, this public company is valued at $308 million, including equity rewards. That compensation is higher than that of any CEO in the S&P 500 reported so far this year or last and more closely resembles pay among executives at big tech firms in recent years than other industries. The bulk of his compensation, about 293, comes from stock, most it awarded to him as part of Endeavor's initial public offering, IPO. Um, you also have um, you know, Patrick Whitesell, which is Endeavor's co-founder, uh, received pay valued at $123 million last year, 11 in salary, bonus, and pre-IPO stock awards. Uh, Mr. Manuel's $4 million salary, $10 million cash bonus and equity awards that vested or became fully his in 2021 is a big reason. Um, you're looking at Ari's pay being just so outrageous. His CEO pay is 
67.5 million recognized compensation. Um, so let's talk about this. That's a ton of money. And the fact that it resembles more of a tech firm um, CEO versus what you would see in Hollywood does not shock me at all. Question is, from a business perspective, does it make sense to pay your CEO that much? On the surface, is an easy answer of no, right? Um, you you want to limit employee compensation, that includes CEOs. And that type of money is, is a lot, especially considering that a lot of Endeavor is propped up by the UFC. I mean, that's, you know, a third, a little less than a third of, or no, maybe around a third actually of the reported revenue that the UFC brought in um, this past year. That's a big deal when one employee is taking about a third of that. That being said, I'm not shocked that he's getting paid this much. Um, and when you think about the plays he's made, specifically buying the UFC, which was crucial for Endeavor's growth, and the ecosystem he's building with Endeavor content, with uh, on location, with the sports properties that aren't just the UFC, but also professional bull riding and some Euro sports leagues, um, with streaming service, right? I, they are trying to build an ecosystem. I've talked about this many a times. That, that is the new, for the past you know, decade or so, that's been the new focus is you don't just build one product and one line of products. You build an ecosystem that all connects to each other and revolves around your products. And I guess I say it's the new decade. This has been happening for decades and decades, but there's been a renewed focus on it. I feel like, especially in the tech sector, um, that's what Endeavor's doing here. I mean, he, when you think about what Endeavor really is. It is a giant umbrella company for this ecosystem. It is not just the talent relations side that they're known for and that they came up on. It is not the UFC. It is this gigantic thing. UFC and the talent relations side is where they make most of their money and what they're best known for, but they have been building out. And they said so in their their pre-IPO disclosures and and, you know, during the roadshow, they want to build this giant synergistic system where everything feeds into each other and the money just keeps on piling. With the UFC's acquisition and the amount of money that that brought in, I mean, it's hard to deny that Endeavor is a very successful IPO given what they've been able to accomplish in a year and how they've been able to turn things around, especially with all the debt they were saddled with. It's hard not to look at the future and think that the possibilities out there, if things go right, are very, very lucrative. And as such, Ari's been at the helm of this for quite some time. Um, his relationship with Dana White and, you know, his negotiation was, I'm sure was, was, crucial in getting Endeavor to buy the majority stake and then the rest of the UFC, which has turned out to be probably the best investment Endeavor has made. Again, from a business perspective, you always want to limit employee compensation, but I am not shocked 
at the amount he's getting paid because of the potential growth and what they've already accomplished. If you think about Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, right? Like this is kind of not, I would, I don't want to compare Ari Emanuel to those guys yet anyway. Um, but nowhere near those realm realm of guys yet, but it's a similar thing where having strong success with a large ambitious venture, you very, very high compensation. It always has. And again, most of that money, the bulk of it, right, comes from stock. So if the stock price tanks, right, let's say like we do hit a downturn coming up and it, it ends up tanking the stock market and, uh, you know, or COVID comes back with a vengeance and knocks out all professional sports, including the UFC and all this stuff. At that point, you know, um, he loses a bunch of money, but right now stock is doing well and significantly well compared to where it um, launched at IPO and, and pre IPO awards. Right. So as long as that continues to rise, he's going to continue to make a bunch of money. It's, it's the type of thing where that's where you see these these billionaires rise and you see all this money come into the hands of the executives because if they keep pushing the stock higher, they end up making more and more and more. That's also part of the reason that almost all of their MO is to push the stock price higher. That's what investors want. That's that's capitalism, right? That's that's the world we live in, 2022. So is it bad for business? I wouldn't say bad because you do always, again, want to limit employee compensation. But since most of the award comes from stock and he has pulled off these huge deals, it's not, you know, it's really not that bad. Um, it's still not ideal, right? If you're a company, you want to see much less than that. Um, you want to get a CEO who's still making, you know, millions of dollars, but not, 308 million, you know, um, you don't never really want to see triple digit compensation, um, for executives. Although I say that, but, but this does shine a light on, this does shine a light on how businesses really think and work, right? Because investors want that limited, but as long as their money's going up, they don't care that much. And, when I say a business wants that limited, really when you get to the CEO and C-suite, that's the majority of the business for like big decisions and strategic vision. So the business might actually want that to happen, right? Um, because the CEO is a main part of the executive board of a business. So not shocked. Of course, as an investor, you'd like to see that limited more, but at the same time, the incentive is there for RA to continually price that stock higher and push the stock price. And as an investor, knowing that the majority of his compensation is tied to stocks is not a bad thing. Because if you are in, if you are an investor, you want that stock price higher. And RA has all the incentive in the world to push that higher. So that's my two cents on it. 
don't be shocked if the UFC continues to grow, which I think they will, if that only goes up. Because as long as Endeavor and, and their other businesses start to turn into the green, um, yeah, that's only going to get higher and higher. Would not be shocked within within five years, uh, Ari Emanuel is a billionaire. If growth rates continue, continue I think it's almost guaranteed. Just saying. All right, last thing I want to touch on very quickly to round out the show today. UFC Columbus purses. They were disclosed by an actual commission. So they are real, real purses. And they highlight some of the falsehoods that we've seen out there lately, right? We had just talked about Patty Pimblett refuting that, you know, report of him making, I forget what it was, like $100,000 or whatever. And he was like, nope, 12K, 12K. And then I got a bonus. Here are some more purses that are legitimate they are from a commission they don't include locker room bonuses or or extra bonuses but we know that they're accurate and they just highlight how inaccurate other purses are uh so for example you've got curtis blades at 131,000 to show 131,000 to win uh and you've got mma salaries listed that he made 100,000 and 100,000 and then promotional so just way off i mean by a lot and that's an easy one to point to where like, yep, this is just completely false. Um, Alexa Grasso, her last event was shown at 40K to show, 40K to win. It's actually 43 and 43. Uh, again, that's MMA salaries. Uh, you have Brian Barberina listed at 61 and 61 um, on the Daily Sports. Uh, you have the salary listed at 51, 51, plus other promotional bonuses. But again, we know that these purses are outside of any promotional bonuses. So they're making more than that. Uh, these fighters are not getting every extra fight bumping up all the time like that. That's not how this works. So this again, just highlights when you see those numbers out there, they're almost certainly false. If they come from a commission, they're all good, but here's proof of how far off the numbers are. And some of you will say, well, they're kind of close enough in some instances with, you know, Grasso. Maybe. Yeah, sure. But like, Again, then you get a Patty Pimblet situation. You get a Curtis Blade situation where it's off by quite a bit. So quit posting false numbers. Uh, call out these these names. I'm glad I could finally call out some of these sites because I have the proof in front of me. Um, yeah. I mean, you got to gotta do better. Got to do better, guys. And if you're watching the show, please help me do better and us as a sport and fans do better. Uh, and the media do better because we can't we can't be posting this stuff. Um, we, we can't be posting false information. It it bad look on us, and it's a bad look for the fighters in the sport. So, just had to point that out because you know we have the numbers right there. So had to get that in. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching this week's Fight Business Podcast. I promise it's going to be more consistent. Can't reveal exactly what changed, but uh, very good things have happened. Finally, some stability very excited about it um i will reveal it in time but and it's not i'm going anywhere else i'm staying at sure dog i'm doing all sure dog's been fantastic while i've been going through this um you know again shout out to john brand again computer crashed during this episode this dude's gonna edit it and make it look fantastic it's can't be happier working here um but promise it will get more consistent um working out you know trying to get it released on a certain time frame every week so it, it's out to you guys and i can kind of tout it as hey here's when it's coming out um 
we will get that ironed out. But thank you so much for listening and continue to give me feedback and support. It's meant a lot, especially from a lot of you guys. Um, really appreciate that. And we'll, we'll keep on trucking. So until next time, get money, my friends. Get money. All right, guys. Who are you betting on at UFC 273? Can the Korean Zomedy beat the odds and defeat Volkanovski? Or is the Australian winning by TKO a given? Get your bets on this weekend at BetUS.com. Use code SHERDOG and get a 125% bonus. BetUS.com has been taking bets for well over 25 years, and there's a reason it's the number one UFC sportsbook. More betting options, live betting at games, BetUS.com is your new home for UFC betting. Start the fight at BetUS.com. Use code SHERDOG. That's S-H-E-R-D-O-G.